If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to just leave it open at uh, the particular chapter that we're covering today, which is from 29, 31 up to chapter 33. Now, like in any culture, a baby's first month or first birthday is considered an important milestone. It is important because we were told that in the past, babies, they face a high mortality rate due to war, malnutrition, and disease. And so when a baby uh, makes it to the first birthday, a big celebration is a must. And I learned that in Korea, the first birthday celebration includes a highlight called the doljabi. Doljabi where different items are placed on the table before the birthday baby. And the baby is to choose and grab one of the items or any of the items, items which may include a stethoscope, a book, flower, a gavel, cash, thread, paint, pen. And people would cheer saying, grab the gavel or grab the cash. If the baby grabs the gavel, Everybody would say, oh, he's going to be a doctor. If the baby grabs the cash, people would say, oh, he is going to be wealthy. Whatever the baby grabbed, it is believed, determines his or her future. Now, I learned about the Joljabi because I am a fan of the Korean drama series, Crash Landing on You. And in one episode where Yoon Seri celebrated her first birthday, everybody cheered on her, Doljabi. Choose the flower, they shouted. But baby Seri innocently turned away from all the items of the table. She turned instead toward her dad and grabbed the hand of her abuji. Everybody applauded. Everybody approved of it. Because by grabbing the hand of the father who owns a conglomerate, she need not grab the cash. She need not grab the stethoscope or the pen. By grabbing daddy's hand, she need not grab anything else. The passage this morning centers on Jacob. Jacob, a.k.a. the grabber. Now, why was he named so? Because... When he was born, he was born grabbing his twin brother's heel. And it's not even Doljabi Day. In fact, while in the mother's womb, Jacob struggled against his brother. He tussled with Esau. He wrestled with him. When they grew up, the tussling continued. As Jacob would grab the brother's birthright, he would snatch the brother's blessing and this last grab of snatching his blessing sent Jacob running for his life because the swindled brother threatened to kill him. Looking back, should Jacob have stopped after grabbing the heel? Should he have grabbed something else? Or should he have not grabbed anything at all? Now, 20 years in Padan Aram will now teach the grabber important faith lessons because the Lord who graciously elected Jacob over his brother Esau 
the Lord is not finished with the grabber yet. Now, the first faith, faith lesson started immediately upon Jacob's arrival at Laban's house. It was, I call it, deja vu. Not for Jacob, but for Laban. Because many, many years ago, a guest arrived at Padan Aram, and Laban's beautiful sister, Rebecca, came running back to the house, exhilarated. And it made Laban excited too, because he saw the ring and the bracelets on the, her sister's, on his sister's arm. And Laban extended the warmest welcome to the guests. Why? Because Laban had an eye for bling-blings. Laban extended the warmest welcome to the guest. And then this time, a new guest arrived at Padan Aram. And it sent her beautiful daughter running back. And this was no ordinary guest. It was the son of Laban's sister. It was the heir of Isaac, whose servant brought the bling-blings many, many years ago. So Laban ran to meet Jacob, embraced and kissed him, and welcomed the nephew to stay with him. But it was a short-lived welcome, because Jacob did not bring any bling-blings with him. When Laban knew that Jacob was madly in love with his daughter, Rachel, he schemed a grand ripoff in order to gain from Jacob. You know what he did? He offered Rachel as a wife in exchange for seven years of labor. But after seven years of labor, on the night after the wedding celebrations, Laban deceived Jacob and swapped Rachel for his other daughter, Leah. This was love story turned into con story. But hope is not lost. Rachel was still up for grabs, Laban told Jacob, in exchange for another seven years of service. And because of Jacob's love for Rachel, he agreed to seven more years of labor. So because of Jacob's love for Rachel, we are told many times in the Bible, Jacob rendered a total of 14 years of labor to Laban, his father-in-law. Now, if you love romance fiction, this one is a tearjerker for you. You'd say something like, oh, I wish I'd find a man like that who would love me like that. Romantic? Please do not forget that this is a con story. It is a love scam, schemed by Laban. Because love can trap a lot of people. I mean, recall that Isaac loved Esau's game. Remember how he loved Esau's food? And for the love of food, Isaac was conned to give away a blessing. And so began the tussle between Laban and Jacob. And the faith lesson is this. Whenever there's desire to grab what the other has, there'll always be strife. One man will strive against the other to gain what the other has. Jacob wanted the beautiful ratio. Laban wanted a labor contract. 
And if you are keeping score, Laban seems to be the one leading. But while the tussle between the father-in-law and the son-in-law went on, the narrator interrupts to tell us about the tussle between Jacob's two wives. Remember, he now has two wives. The two wives who, don't forget, are actually siblings. So sibling rivalry again, friends. Doesn't this allude to Jacob and Esau? The siblings who tussled against each other because one was loved and the other was not? You see, they're all tussles to grab what the other has. Leah strived against her sister Rachel to grab the husband's love. Rachel wrestled against her sister Leah to grab motherhood because that's what all strivings are all about. It's about grabbing what the other has. And the tussle between the two sisters became a competition of who has the more number of children. <laughs> Even the servants were roped in to join the battle by producing uh, children on their behalf. And at times when sons were born, both sisters gave names to declare that God was on her side. Reuben, God saw my affliction. Simeon, the Lord heard me. Dan, God has judged me. Joseph, may God add another son. Leah believed God was on her side. Rachel believed God was on her side. You know, it sounds like us when we get into tussles with one another, doesn't it? Battling sides are often convinced that God is on their side. And they boldly declare so to try to support their cause, to try to justify their actions. We see that, for instance, in elections. <laughs> we see that in marriages. We see that sometimes in church leadership. It is very ugly. If only we can tussle and honestly admit that I just want to grab something from you. I just want to have something that you have. If only we honestly admit that, then we will be led by the Spirit to let go of strivings and leave all for the Lord to work out His saving plan. For Leah and Rachel, the tussle wasn't just over who could produce more children. It became a competition, too, of who clocked more hours with the husband. So if you've read the passage, remember one harvest time, Leah's son Reuben found some mandrakes, and Rachel wanted them. For mandrakes were believed to have aphrodisiac qualities. But she's not going to get Leah's mandrakes for free. She had to lease her husband to Leah. And so in exchange for mandrakes, Leah booked the grabber for one evening. Now, if this is a movie, the title is The Mandrake Proposal, if you know what I'm talking about. It's an ugly tussle between the wives, but there's a faith lesson. God remains the one 
who graciously opens the wombs and blesses the sisters with children. It's never through one's own effort. And God does not seem to take sides. Did you notice? He blesses both sisters with children because he achieves his purposes through the wrestlings, through the tussles of the women. For from the women, from, from these women, God will form the 12 tribes of Israel. From Rachel will come the Savior of Jacob's family, who will save the family when famine strikes Canaan. From Leah will come the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Tussles among God's people are ugly. They're embarrassing. But God in his wisdom and grace uses them to achieve his good purposes, to bless his people. So 14 years have passed. Surely it must have felt very long for Jacob. He wanted to go back home to his father's hometown. But Laban didn't want to let go of free labor. And so he finally offered to pay Jacob his wages. Finally, name your wages, he said. And Jacob proposed to be paid in what manner? He proposed to be paid with sheep and goat from Laban's flock. Chapter 30, verse 32. He says, every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, these shall be wages for Jacob so that he can start his own uh, flock. Laban agreed, or so we think. Because after verbally agreeing to Jacob's proposed wages, he conspired with his sons to remove the spotted and speckled animals from the flock so that Jacob would not get any at all. He also schemed to set a 100-kilometer, three-day's journey, a 100-kilometer distance between his flock and Jacob's flock. Why does he do that? So that the sheep or goat that Jacob gets from Laban would die during the long journey. Now, if you are still keeping score, Laban is leading now by many, many points. Jacob, the grabber, the deceiver, well, he has become rusty after 14 years, and he seems to be losing out in this tussle. But hold on, because towards the end of chapter 30, Jacob finally catches up. While taking care of Laban's flock, you know what he did? Chapter 30, verse 37. He took stick of poplar and almond trees, peeled them, and exposed the white part of the stick. And he set these peeled sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs. When the flocks drank water and bread, because of the sticks, the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And what happens to the striped, speckled, and spotted lambs? Well, they would become Jacob's sheep. They will be under Jacob's possession. Also, Jacob would select the stronger of the flock when they were breeding. 
and then he would place the sticks in front of the flocks. I think he did this for the next six years. And the result was Jacob kept the superior breed, the stronger breed. And the weaker breed was now left for Laban. Now, whether the poplar and almond sticks were primitive, selective breeding techniques that we know not of, or whether the use of these uh, sticks that we read of was an old wives' tale or a superstitious practice among shepherds, the narrator tells us it is divine genetic engineering. Divine genetic engineering. Why? Because the angel of the Lord said to Jacob in a dream, that all goats, all the goats that mated with the flock, they were striped, they were spotted, they were mottled. They didn't have stripes and spots when Jacob bred them, but their young had stripes and spots and mottles when they were born. You know why? Because the Lord airbrushed them. Because the Lord says, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So what's the faith lesson here? Jacob need not resort to repay scheme for scheme. There's no need for Jacob to outwit Laban, who had cheated him so many times. Because if Jacob has God, God will carry out his promise to bless him. And he did. Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Chapter 30, verse 43. And so what's the score now? Jacob has rallied up and is now leading in the tussle. Even the sons of Laban had to concede defeat, saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. The wealth he has, he has gained it from our fathers. But the tussle between Jacob and Laban must come to an end. The tricks and the schemes to gain an upper hand has got to stop. God now calls on Jacob to journey home. Chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord spoke to him and said, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you, says the Lord to Jacob. Has Jacob learned his faith lesson to trust in God and not resort to schemes? Will he believe that the Lord will be with him as he has promised? Well, not yet, it seems, because Jacob plotted to escape while Laban was away shearing his sheep. Jacob tricked Laban by not telling him he was leaving with his wives, with his servants, with his children, Laban's grandchildren, and animals. Laban and his men pursued the fleeing party and overtook them. And Laban, in his anger, could have harmed them all. But, but God appeared to Laban in a dream and warned him, warned him not to harm Jacob. God appeared to him in a dream and warned him not to say anything good or bad 
to Jacob. You know, if you read this passage, you will notice that there is an intended comedy. Sometimes there's comedy in Bible narratives. There's an intended comedy here. God appears to Laban because Laban's household gods went missing. Rachel stole them, perhaps, to impede Laban, who would get divination tips or powers. That's the comedy. The other comedy was that Rachel was sitting on Laban's household idols while having her monthly period. That's the other comedy here. The stolen gods or the stolen idols were not found, and so Laban could not harm them. All because the Lord fulfilled his promise to Jacob to be with him and to watch over him. His trickery to Laban, racial stealing of the idols, they were all for nothing. Because of the Lord's working, the tussle between Laban and Jacob has come to an end. And that chapter ended with the two of them making a pact not to harm each other. But one great threat remains for Jacob. His journey home meant meeting the brother he had swindled 20 years ago. And so Jacob sent servants ahead of him to Esau to inform the brother that he seeks peace. The servants returned to Jacob to report that Esau has, how many? 400 men. And this made Jacob very afraid and distressed. And for the first time recorded for us, Jacob called on to God. He prayed to the Lord. That is why, my friends, fear and distress uh, can be good for the soul, for it drives us on our knees independence to God. Jacob prayed, chapter 32, verses 10 and following. And he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob acknowledges that he is unworthy of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Why? Because he is the one who swindled his brother and fled from him. He fled without anything, and now he is returning, upon God's command, with two big camps. His prayer is a prayer that acknowledges one's unworthiness and one's undeservedness to be even heard by God. And yet one can praise God still for his faithfulness and steadfast love. Jacob pleaded the Lord to deliver and protect him and the family from Esau so that God will work out his purposes, his promise to make Jacob's descendants 
numerous as the sand of the sea. Jacob then crafts a plan to divide his company into two camps. Why? So that if Esau came to attack, well, at least one camp might be able to escape and survive. You know what he did? He also set aside 500 plus animals as gifts to Esau. He sets aside a zoo. So if, a movie, if there's a movie here, it's called He Gave a Zoo. If you know what I mean. He gave a zoo as gifts to Esau and he rehearsed with his servants what to say to Esau, which is, these are from your servant Jacob to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob is behind us. These are from your servant Jacob to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob is behind us. Because gifts sometimes can be effective in appeasing an angry soul. So we read this and we say, well, good thinking, Jacob. But we shall see that the gifts were not necessary. The well-rehearsed spill, these are your servants from your, these are presents from your servant Jacob, they, in the end, didn't get any airtime. Because on the night, before meeting Esau, on that evening when Jacob was alone, he wrestled with an unnamed mysterious man until dawn. And this was a significant wrestling match. This was the final tussle of the tussles that characterized Jacob's life from the moment he was in his mother's womb. The struggle with his brother, the tussle with Laban, in order to grab what he thought he needed, in order to seize what the other had. This night wrestling was the last of a series of wrestlings that would change the man forever. Chapter 32, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now, who was this mysterious man who tussled with Jacob? He wrestled with Jacob in the dark, but had to leave by dawn. Jacob the grabber seemed to have the upper hand, for he held on to the man from dusk to dawn. But the man had enormous strength, strength that was, well, tamed, controlled. For with just a touch on Jacob's hip socket, his hip joint came loose 
meaning the mysterious man could have easily won the match. But he played along. He let Jacob prevail over him. He let Jacob grab on to him until, until dawn, until Jacob asked to be blessed. And blessing did Jacob receive. Man asked for his name, Jacob, a.k.a. the grabber. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, when was the last time we read of a change of names in Genesis? Abraham and Sarai, you recall, whose names God had changed to Abraham and Sarah, signifying a new identity. Could this man be God, who now changes Jacob's name? Well, if you look at your Bibles, a few clues provide the answer. Number one, the man had the authority to change Jacob's name. Number two, he explained the meaning of the new name, which is Jacob's tribe with God and with men and prevailed. We knew of Jacob striving with men. We knew of his strife with Esau, of his strife with Laban. But this is the first time we hear of Jacob having striven with God. Thirdly, when Jacob asked for his name, the man refused to give his name. Why? Uh, because the higher will never be asked by the lower for his or her name. So I remember when I was growing up, I had the trauma or the fear of the principal. You think I dare walk into the principal's office and ask my principal, uh, Mr. Yu, what's your first name, uh, by the way? You don't do that to a higher being. When Jacob asked for his name, the man refused to give his name because it is the prerogative of the higher being to give his name or not. And lastly, Jacob named the place of the wrestling instead because he didn't know his name. He couldn't name him, change his name. So instead, he named the place. And the place name is Peniel. He explains, because I have seen God face to face, and yet my life's been spared. So who is this mysterious wrestler? It can be no other than God in a theophanic encounter, which means God appearing in an earthly form. God appears here in a bodily form to culminate and end all the strivings in Jacob's life. All the grabbings Jacob was anxious to seize. The grabbing of the birthright and blessing when he need not. Why? Because God had promised that it was his all along. The striving over wealth when he need not. For God promised to be with him and bless him. This wrestling match is to put an end to all those strivings. And an all-night wrestling ended in, in favor of Jacob. Jacob won. Jacob won only because of concession. 
He won only because Jacob finally grabbed for himself that which will secure his future, Israel. A nation to whom God promises to fight for. Jacob won because he finally grabbed for himself that which would tell him he has no need to grab anything else. Jacob grabbed God. And in grabbing God for himself, he'll never need to grab anything else. Know the important message to the Israelites who are about to enter the promised land is this. Reading this story, it tells them that you shall prevail over the Canaanites because Israel means God contends. God contends for you. He fights for you. Israel means you have prevailed over men who contends with you, over God who has promised to be with you and to bless you because you chose not to let him go. When Jacob finally knew who to grab, he did prevail. And so when he met Esau in the next chapter, there was no attack, right? But Esau, chapter 33, verse 4, ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So, friends, this is the tearjerker part. It's not the love story a while ago, but it is this part. That is a tearjerker part when God brings about true reconciliation. A reconciliation that our self-efforts will not be able to produce because only God can change the heart. So in the final wrestling match, Jacob grabbed God and he need not grab anything else. You know, for us, this message rings true. The tussles and the strifes that we entangle ourselves with is really about our desire to grab for ourselves what the other has. Isn't that true? We keep score because we are so afraid of losing out. Losing out to my sibling over inheritance. Losing out to my colleague over promotion. Losing out to my classmates over grades or over the school that I go to. We grab what others are having and so there's no end to striving. But if we grab God, friends, we will never need to grab anything else. For he has given us his son Jesus, the promised blessing from the line of Jacob. And we prevailed over God only because of Jesus' work on the cross. He paid for our sins. 
He reconciled us. He brought us spiritual blessings found only in Christ. And because of Jesus, we shall see God face to face and still be delivered. Praise God. May we learn not to grab anything. It doesn't really matter in life. But may we learn to grab what is truly important. Grab God, and you need not grab anything else. Let us pray. We give thanks, Father, for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to undeserved people like us. Teach us, O Lord, to cling on to him, for in him we find the spiritual blessings listed for us in your word. And if we have Jesus, we have everything. We have forgiveness. We have reconciliation. We have new life. We have whatever we need, equipping for holy living. Because of Jesus, we will see you face to face. And we will prevail because of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Oh, we praise you, Father, and teach us that you are sufficient so that we may not place our trust, our desires, our likes in things that are inferior. Help us to grab you, for if we grabbed you, we don't need to grab anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.